Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Amen. Give me a second to get situated here. Presence of the Lord is here. We walked in. Uh, the uh, worship team was singing a song, and my wife looked at me and said, that is confirmation of what God has given us tonight, so I'm thankful for that. Isn't it good when God confirms something to you? Amen. It is. Uh, there's a story that is told about Lawrence of Arabia that uh, right after World War One, he had taken a bunch of his Arab friends to uh, to uh, Italy, and while they were there, and he was showing them all the famous sites and the, uh, the the beauty of the towns and so on, they became quite fascinated with something that he wasn't expecting to be fascinated with, and that was uh, the bathroom faucet. He thought that they would be excited about, you know, the beauty of the artwork and all the architecture and stuff there, but instead they were fascinated the fact that they could turn a lever and water would pour out, pour out of a faucet. And so about the time they were getting ready to leave, he went into the bathroom and he found them working with a wrench trying to take the faucet off the wall with the idea that if they took the faucet with them that they would have an abundance of water in the dry lands of Arabia. Now, they knew that the water wouldn't come out of the faucet magically, but they didn't understand that there needed to be a water source of extreme pressure that would get that water out to them. And so tonight, you know, when we stand before a congregation and we preach, you know, I don't want to just be a faucet up here that is just trying to, to spell, spout something off and get it out there. We want to have the power of the Lord come through what we preach and what we teach. And so I appreciate your prayers as we, as we look at this tonight. The power of the Holy Ghost is here for us all to drink. Amen. Talking about water. And Jesus described that as a water that we would never have to thirst again. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, working the type of job I do at headquarters and then owning Living with Purpose and having grandkids, and every, I get a lot asked a lot of questions. Questions, questions, questions. It's like all of a sudden I've got the answer to everything in the world, it seems like. And the questions just constantly get bombarded. And a few weeks ago I was at a home missionary training session and one of the people that was making a presentation there started talking about the best way to reach people is to ask a question. We ask questions because we want to learn. We want to gain knowledge. We have, we're, we're inquisitive of things. Every day, we are bombarded with nonstop questions. Everybody say amen. How may I help you? Can I take your order, please? Would you like cream and sugar with your coffee? Can you tell me how to get here? Can you tell me how to get there? How does this dress look? Are you mad at me? Can I have a raise? Can we talk for a moment? How do I fix the computer? Dad, can we, Mom, are we able, and the parents of little kids know what I'm talking about. It's nonstop. In the, in the movie, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Doris Day sings the song, Que Sera, Sera. And in that song, the, the, the child that is being represented in this song is talking about, Hey, Mom, when, when I grow up, will I paint pictures? Will I write books? What will I be? And then he talks about to his teacher, will I, uh, 
actually, actually asked his mom, will I be pretty? Will I be rich? They asked the teacher, will I be a painter? Will I sing songs? And then moves on to say later on as he gets older, will I, uh, uh, will there be rainbows day after day? The, the idea of what they were looking for changed as they got older. When, when, you read, when you listen to that song and you watch that story, you find out in, in the premise of that all that as that young child is whistling this, he is actually saving his own life with the question that's being asked because he ends up being the way that his parents find where he's been at during this kidnapping that's happening. That's a long, exp short explanation for a really long movie. I like thrillers like that, so if you ever get an opportunity, that, that, that is a premise there that you want to watch. But anyway... This, this idea of our kids being inquisitive is, is, took me as funny because when my boys were little, they always asked a lot of questions. And, and Michael, my oldest son especially, was one of the most inquisitive. It would be like, you know, Dad, why are cars, some cars called Fords and some cars called Chevys? And I would say, well, you know, uh, a man named Ford was the man that invented the Ford car, so... The cars are named after him. and But his inquisitiveness was always constantly going on. Dad, who invented the table? Who invented the chair? Who invented this? Who invented that? And honestly, I got to the point where I was making stuff up. It was like um, William Table invented the table. Charlie Chair invented the chair, and they always named them after the person that invented them. That's what the safest bet I would go with. And Sally Bench, and you just name it. I could come up with stuff like that. And Wally Window. It worked for a while. Then I think it got wise to me. A lot of people greet you when you see each other. They'll they'll look at you and they'll just say, "Hey, what's up? What's going on? How you doing?" That's a question. Don't say hello. You say, what's up? Okay. Questions. We're bombarded with questions constantly. When you when you turn under, does anybody remember these advertising things? Is it live or is it Memorex? Where's the beef? You got milk? Can you hear me now? We're familiar with that. How many licks is it, this is for the older folks, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? The world will never know. Have you driven a Ford lately? How do you spell relief? Pardon me, do you have any gray poupon? Now some of the young people are looking at, what in the world is he talking about? In Chicago, the radio station, the big radio station up there growing up when I was a kid would, would ask you, what radio station do you listen to? If we call your number and you say our name, you'll win a prize. And my cousins and I, we just thought it was so funny on Friday nights to get on the phone, make random phone calls, and call people and ask them that question. When McDonald's was doing that promotion about the Big Mac, and they wanted you to take the Big Mac Challenge, we'd call people and say, you've got 20 seconds to quote the Big Mac Challenge. And we did the voice and everything, man. It was really neat, you know. My cousins, we had odd names. My, name, my cousin's name was Rodney, and my, growing up, I was Kermit, of course. And so we, we played radio a lot, you know. 
I was Kermit Caviar, and he was Rodney Ravioli. And we'd get on the, we'd get on the phone and call people and say, you've got 20 seconds to do the Big Mac Challenge. Can you do it? And they go, oh, yeah, well, yeah. hold the pick. Uh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's Burger King. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, two all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun. You got it. Thanks. And we'd hang up. We wouldn't tell them they won or anything, you know. What would you do for a Klondike bar? What's in your wallet? We probably quote a lot of famous movie quotes that ask questions too. Let's see what the geeks in the room recognize this. Judge me by my size, do you? Are you talking to me? What's up, Doc? All questions. Here, another one for the geeks. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? I see three back there going like that, okay. Who shot JR? Who framed Roger Rabbits? And that doesn't start. Now we go to songs. Are you ready for songs? Do you know the way to San Jose? Who wrote the book of love? Who'll stop the rain? How, why do fools fall in love? Where does the time go? Could it be we're falling in love? You probably think this song is about you. Don't you? Don't you? Question, question. Okay. Rod Stewart. I won't do Rod Stewart. You all know what that one is. How much is the doggy in the window? When will I see you again? How can you mend a broken heart by the Bee Gees? What's going on by Marvin Gaye? All these are questions. And then, wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boy? Isn't she lovely by Stevie Wonder? It goes on. We're bombarded every day, regardless of constant questions. In songs, in advertisements, all over, it's question after questions. Why can't we be friends? Then we can go to, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? And then we could go to the all-time favorite. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Please won't you be? Please won't you be my neighbor? All a question. Now I'll go religious, okay? Will the circle be unbroken? Are you washed in the blood? How can it be? Why would he die for me? And where are you? Or where were you? And then the all-time classic of Here of Late, that great song, Will I dance in your presence, or in all of you will I stand? Or on my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? All questions. We are told that there's an art to asking questions. You try to ask open-ended questions rather than ones that there can be a simple question, answer of yes or no. One word's answers are considered closed true or false I think that might be why a lot of proposals are simply will you marry me there is no time to consider the question of like what do you think about marrying me well let me consider these things now, when I asked Julie to marry me, I had this brilliant idea that I would do it on top of the St. Louis Arch. 
in my mind, I thought it'd be romantic that each time that we see the St. Louis Arch, it would be a reminder that, you know, that's where I proposed, and it would be neat. Now when we see the St. Louis Arch, when we're driving home, usually after a long trip or something, we know it's exactly 35 minutes to get home, and that's what it reminds us about. But on top of that 630-foot-tall building, I asked the question, pardon me, do you have any grave poupon? No, I didn't. I asked her to marry me. But questions, questions, questions. What do you make? What do you do for a living? Tell me how much you, uh, how much you make. Do you like your job? What do you think you're going to be when you grow up? What did you do when you, uh, when, when you were little? What did you think you were going to grow up? That didn't make any sense. Uh, what lessons has the life work taught you? If you could do anything now, what would you do? What are you thinking? What did you do that for? What are you? Why are we leaving? When are we leaving? What time does the game start? When is your birthday? How old are you? When were you born? Bang, bang, bang. Is Star Wars really over? Are we in a matrix? What's the weather like? What's right and wrong? Then it gets more complicated and more thoughtful in our thinking. What is the meaning of life? Is there really an afterlife? Is God real? What happens when I die? Constant question after question. And when you think about it, it almost makes your mind... But questions make us think. In Genesis 3 and 9, right after Adam and Eve had sinned by eating from the fruit of the tree, God asked him a question. He said, where are you? Now, God knows everything. God knew where Adam and Eve were. This was a question to make Adam think. This is a question that brought Adam to a place of pondering of what he had done and the ramifications of what he had done. He made Adam search his soul. Adam gave his response, and then God asked him another question. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat the fruit? God knew all the answers beforehand. He just wants us to search for the answer. Right after the situation with Cain and Abel, God asked him, what have you done? Abel tried to, or Cain tried to deny what he, you know, his, his motive in doing it. But God knew the answer. He always does. He actually asked, he asked Cain before it all happened, why are you angry? God knows the answers. Even when Abel sna- or Cain, I keep, excuse me, Cain responded back to him. He said, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And even with that, God came back and asked him, "What have you done?" There's lots of questions in the Scripture where God asks questions. He asked Abraham, "Shall not the judge of the earth do right?" In regard to the people in Sodom, he asked Job, "Where did, were you when I laid the earth's foundation?" Sometimes I read that and I think of, of God perhaps really saying to him, just who do you think you are? He said to Isaiah, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, he said, whom shall I send and who will, I, who will go? David asked, what is man that God is mindful of him? 
In the Gospels, Jesus asks more questions than he ever answered. And to be precise, according to our good friends at Google, Jesus asked 307 questions in the scripture. He was asked 183 by people, but he only answered three of them. God wants us to think. When when Christ arose, the angel asked the ladies there, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? All questions to make us ponder. Turning to the disciples, he says, who do, you, who do they say that I am? In Matthew 5, we see the encounter of Jesus meeting the, the disciples for the first time and Peter being upon his, uh, in the water, washing his nets. And Jesus asked for permission to use the boat to go out a little ways from the shore so that he could preach to the crowd from a distance. And as he's out there, Peter realizes that there's something different about this man, and he asks him to follow him. And the reason I reference that is when you look at this scripture a little bit closer, when, when Jesus is talking to the disciples often, he is talking in ways that are questions driving people to think about the situation they're in and where they're in at the moment. In Matthew 13 and 53, it says, And it came to pass that when Je Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. When he came into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these works? Is this not the car carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Hosea and, and Simon and Judas? And his sisters are not they all with us? Whence for then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him, were offended in him and Jesus said unto them, The prophet's not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not mighty works because of their unbelief. One of the things that happens most is when we turn the questions the wrong way. When we take the questions, and rather than letting the Lord direct us and ask us the questions, when we begin questioning God. His whole city began to look upon him with doubt. And the Bible says they were questioning him, and there was not the miracles weren't able to happen there. Even when Peter was sinking in the water that day when Jesus bid him to come out to come to him, the very thing that Jesus said to him was a question when he got to him in the water. He said, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? A question. A few weeks ago, we took communion as a, as a body of believers together, and we broke up into our family groups, and, and, and we prayed. Communion is a special, a special time. It's such a blessing as we do that. It's, it's to draw strength. It's to draw uh, uh, closeness to the Lord. It, it makes us examine ourselves. Amen? In Matthew 28 and 20, we're going to read the portion of, of the scripture where they were there. And it says in, in taking the first uh, Lord's Supper, it says, And then when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto the Lord, 
Is it I? Here's a question. This portion of scripture, as well as the next one I'm going to read, for some reason, over the last five or six years as I've preached, these scriptures have constantly come to me as something that is speaking to my heart that I have to share to people. And so as I, as I study this, this, this situation that they're in, and I look at things, you can get a good idea of where the placement of the people were in the room while they were eating together. And the Bible talks about, about uh, Judas being on one side and John the Beloved being on the other. And the way that it's laid out in the, in the story is they're leaning against each other in a way that they're talking and they're communal to each other. But they're not at the Lord's table like what that we see in Da Vinci's painting where they're all spread out across the, a room staring at a photo getting their picture taken. Now, they were, they were most likely reclined on their sides in a horseshoe-shaped looking table where somebody could walk down the middle and serve them. And, and, and so you can imagine this table that way, and they can all see each other. And by reading this portion of Scripture, you can kind of get an idea. You, you don't know where all of them were sitting, but you know for sure where Judas was and John and when they're talking and he says this to them about someone going to betray him that evening, they all begin to question, is it, is it I? And we kind of did that that night before we took communion, didn't we? We all asked ourselves, am I okay? Can you forgive me for what I've done, okay? It's a time of reflection and a time of asking ourselves that question, okay? Because Jesus knew something that night about every last one of the men at that table. It wasn't just Judas that was going to deny him. The Bible actually says that Jesus told them that you're all going to fall this evening. Every last one of them in some way was going to take off and run, and, and Peter being amongst them. But the Bible says that when Peter was sitting there and Jesus walked around, he began washing their feet. And the Bible says, and then when he came to Peter, he began to wash his feet. And Peter kind of said, hey, don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus gives him the, the direct statement to him that I need to wash your feet or you have no part of me. Now, Peter, Peter had the tendency, and I think a lot of people are this way, tend to put their foot in their mouth real easy. I won't raise, ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I just speak without thinking real fast. My son, Jonathan, often kicks me under the table. Peter was really quick to, to, to respond. And Peter said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus really tells him, before the evening's up, you're going to deny me three times. Can you imagine being in that relationship with him and being in this close-knit thing that even they're pondering amongst themselves, is it I? They're questioning themselves. But Peter has the audacity to, from across the table to look at John and say, hey, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is because you're right there next to him. He wanted to know. Questions. So in the next portion of Scripture, we find out they've all now they've 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 taken the the the, the Passover meal and they've gone for a, a period of time where they've sang hymns together, they've worshipped, and now they've gone to the garden to pray. And Jesus is quickly arrested in that in that in that situation in that story. And I think it's beautiful what we see as we as we see there even even at his arrest, there's questions 
asked. Constant questions that come across to Jesus. And many times when he responds to them, he doesn't answer them directly. Man, wouldn't that be a skill set to learn? I think it would kind of be annoying sometimes, but it would be the neatest thing to be able just to answer questions really quick with another question or, or divert the answer in a way that they have their answer, but they don't really know for sure they got the answer. So anyway, so here he is, and he's, he's, he's showing himself to the disciples and to the soldiers that take him away. And, and in the act in the moment, Peter, Peter does what he does, and he, he slices off the ear of the soldier, and, and, and the Lord even says to him, you know, if you take with the sword, you'll die by the sword. Peter is constantly getting scolded. People, Peter is constantly being told in some way, man, you are just not up to par with what I'm thinking with a lot of this. And so the story goes on, and we all know how it, how it transpires, that Jesus is crucified, and then he rose on the third day. And there's a period of time where they're all to, they, they see and interact with him because he asks them to, 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 uh, to tarry. And as he, inter and he interacts with them and encounters them, he begins at one point that he, he, he meets them on the shore. And Peter has been in the same situation almost identical if you read the beginning of the story of where Jesus meets him. Peter is in the exact same situation where he hasn't caught a fish. And, and he says to him, he's, go out again and try. And he does, and he brings forth, he brings out, he brings forth fish and, and, and a great catch. And he comes back to the shoreline, and Jesus is there, and he's talking to him. And, you know, he, at first the Bible says he didn't recognize him, and, but then they begin to understand who it is. And, and, uh, and they, they begin to, 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 to see what he's doing and, and the, the, the sensation there of knowing that just a few days earlier he denied him so openly in front of such a crowd. He, he denied him three times, and, and, and perhaps that's weighing on Peter's mind. And Jesus begins to talk to him, but this time again, he answers, he asks him questions. And he asks that question to us every day. Do you love me? Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And I think it's reassuring to Peter that as each time he said to him, you know, Lord, that I do, that it was to kind of repent of the three denials. But in that moment, when he begins to talk to the Lord, there's something about Peter and the type of man he was he begins to even question a little further of the Lord, and he gets all wrapped up in the idea of John. What's going to happen with John? And Jesus really kind of sharply says to him a question. What's it to you? A question. 
Tonight, when I was praying about this, my wife and I were talking, and I said, I want to I title this something that you remember. And, and I was working with the idea of, who do you think you are? And she goes, man, that's, that's, that's tough. You don't want to have a title like that. I said, no, not like, just who do you think you are, but who do you think you are? Do we realize who we are in the kingdom of God and, and, and how he feels about us? What he did for Peter in that story of, of vindicating him back into his loving arms, he does that to each and every one of us all the time. We have the, we have the ability to call out to him in a moment's notice when there's a need. He's there for us that way. So thankful that he's there. And, and, and really, when it comes down to it, the same question that he asked the very first man, he asks us all the time also, where are you? Where are you today? Are you busy looking at what so-and-so is doing, or are you concentrating on what God wants you to do? Is your eyes on the, 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 the place that you're supposed to be going, or are you worried about what John's going to do? There was some rivalry between Peter and John, obviously. But Jesus basically said, that's none of your business. And it really, when it comes down to it, our love and relationships with Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with our, the John in our life. There should be nobody that makes us think and ponder, do I have the a, a same sort of relationship with God that John does? Because how I serve God may be different than how you serve God. Not that there's different levels of serving God, but our relationships may reflect a totally different way. Keith Perryman's my friend, but he may act totally different with me than he does with Brother Buford because his relationship's different with him. But that doesn't mean that we're any less friends than each other. And so trying to reflect upon other people's walks and try to feel like we're in, in, in the same walks or, or to, to reflect them or be worried and concerned about what they're doing or even allowing someone to say something that would hurt you to keep you from him, you've got to worry about that stuff. You've got to worry about the relationship you're, you're with him. And remember those words, I love you, do you love me, and where are you? Where are you? I'm thankful to know that he's got that kind of concern and care for me. I'm thankful that I can always know that there's a, there's a loving arms that's stretched out. Someone asked me one time in regard to people backsliding. I, I have difficulty. I, I thank God. I, I have served God since I was about 10 years old. Uh, I, I, I cannot think of it. I'm not saying I walked perfect, Okay. I mean, if I stepped into the water, I would sink. I wouldn't walk on it like, like, like Jesus or Peter did. I would sink. But I, I do know, I do know that I, I, I've tried to never give up, give up on God, even in, in the toughest times that I've known that God is there and he's going to carry me through. I can't understand if you've got the same, if you, if you get in love with Jesus the way that, that he, you experience him, how could anybody walk away? And the only reason that I think that they can is they were like Cain that took his eyes off of God and looked at what Abel was doing and got distracted by that.
we've got to make sure that we're in, we're in tune with God when we're talking to him and letting him know and listening to that voice that asks us, where are you and do you love me? That's the first question God asked in the scripture and the last one he asked. I'm so thankful to know that he loves me, amen? Amen, let's all stand.